Welcome to Treasure Valley Podcast. I'm Chuck. Today's episode is brought to you by Lower Gentry Studios. The first episode of Lower Gentry Studios web series, Canyon County, will be available for viewing on YouTube on December 19th. If you want to catch a preview of that first episode because you can't wait two days, come on out to the Linen Building on December 17th during the evening. There's an event going on there called End the Stigma. It's going to be a blast. We're raising money for Idaho Parents Unlimited. So come by, spend some cash, and it'll all go to a good cause. Today, I sit down with Lindsay Bryant. Lindsay Bryant is a photographer. She's also a model. We talk about photography. We cover a lot of different topics. She is an amazing artist. You can check out her work at B&B Artistry. That's uh, on Instagram, B-A-N-D-B Artistry. Um, she's a great artist. She's a great person. We have a great conversation. Enjoy. We're recording. Nice. Welcome. Thank you for coming on to chat, Lindsay. Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, So we should uh, probably talk about photography. I think that would be a good topic to hit (laughs) on. Um, So so we met, um, you and I met before, uh, we we met right before I started filming Canyon Mm -hmm. County, the web series that we're working on right now. And then you were nice enough to come out and do some shooting. Yeah. Which was super impressive. Uh, oh, the the shots you. that you came out with. It made me realize that like the lighting must be okay that we have on the set because your pictures turned out well. <laughs> and I got to see those before we ran any footage. So that was pretty awesome. Um, but uh, I was also looking at your, your Facebook and your Instagram and your model too. And I wasn't aware of that. Yeah, it's just something I kind of fell into. <laughs> Which one are you, do you do first? Uh, I was a photographer first. Okay. For a while, for probably about four years before I started getting in front of the camera. Okay. And then um, I've walked runway a couple of times, so that was really fun. I did like a hair show portion um, for Meraki Salon at the Raw Show, and then... Do you just... do your own hair? I'm sorry, I'm jumping all over oh, the place. Oh, no. <laughs> I did do my own hair now, but oh, okay. for the show, I didn't. Right on. And then I got called last minute to walk for Amanda Fitch, and she does more like costume-type clothing, and so that was really fun because I got to kind of be in character. I was a scary clown. Okay, uh, I so saw that one. Yeah. yeah. It was a lot of fun, but just a lot of things out of my comfort zone that I never thought I would be in front of a camera or doing anything like that. So, How long have you been a photographer? For six years now. Dang. Yeah. What did you do before that? Uh, I was a stay-at-home mom and went to school, and I've done sales jobs my whole life. So Right on. So that's probably good. You have your own photography business. Yes. Nice. Yeah. And business is good? It is. It's been so busy this year, and I'm very grateful for that. Do you do mostly like weddings, or what is what is the bulk of that... a photographer's life here in the Treasure Valley? <laughs> I'm just curious. I can't speak for anyone else because okay. we're all so different. Got um, it. Like I have a friend who specializes in weddings, but uh, for me, it changes every year. I was going to specialize at one point because concept photography is really where my heart and soul is, but I can't. I just love the challenge of every type. So I just take whatever comes that year. So one year I'll shoot a lot of weddings. Mm-hmm. Another year it'll be boudoir sessions or I've had more concept sessions this year. So what is a con what's concept? That seems uh, pretty open and vague. <laughs> right. I'm not so I'm not conceptual a... um sessions for me, I would describe it as like photography that really tells a story. 
And I use a lot of special effects editing in those types of sessions. So it takes a lot longer for me editing wise. Okay. And then there's usually costume and make a lot more makeup or special effects makeup and props involved in concept sessions. Okay. So by special effects, do you mean like after, after you take the shots, you add stuff? Yeah. Okay. What does that look like in photography? <laughs> uh, I just like, picture like all the Photoshop like jokes you, like right. on Reddit and on the internet. Yeah, it is pretty big. Uh, so like let's say one year I had a concept session with two best friends and one was a voodoo priestess and the other one was a gypsy so in editing i took the gypsy and elevated her and like shrunk her down to the size of a doll and like added magic and stuff so it just completely depends on what type of session it is so you're on top of that adobe photoshop then yeah it was a lot it was like learning a new language to learn don't like adobe no. Adobe is just uh, is the bane of my existence. It, was, it seems like it's anytime they update it, it's like a whole different thing. Because like my brother and I use it all the time for Premiere and edit, video editing. Okay. And then the sound editing. And it seems like they update it and they move things around arbitrarily and I can never find anything <laughs> that I just knew They're how to use. Keeping you on your toes. Yeah. It's so <laughs> obnoxious. Yeah. And it's like only like a handful of things that you actually use. It seems like they have all these tools. I don't know. They drive me crazy. Yeah. There's still a lot that I have to learn and that's the challenge of it that I love. So do you want to do, so I know I've been asking questions, but the, have you ever watched the show before? Well, the show, the podcast. I haven't. Okay. So, so I do. Am I allowed to say that? <laughs> No, that's fine. You're not one of the dozens of subscribers that frequent Treasure Valley Podcast. I will podcast. be now. Oh, nice. <laughs> um, so usually, I usually, I, it varies so much. I'm figuring it out. But right now I've been doing 10 questions okay. for the guests and they go all over the place. Um, so I don't know much about photography. I'm really interested in photography. I like the one, the camera that's on you, I just picked up like, like six months ago Mm -hmm. because I'm trying to figure out lighting. Um, But I'm just, I'm assuming you're an expert. So you're going to be able to answer some Mm. of my questions. And if not, (laughs) you can, you can buzz and say pass. Um, Who's a famous photographer that shifted the paradigm? Oh, that's difficult. I love Ansel Adams work and he does like landscape stuff. But he can draw more emotion out of a landscape than I can most people. So there's just something that I connected with with his work. Is there something different between, I mean, obviously there's something different between landscape and and portrait photography. Is that, so you focus on the portrait aspect? Is that? Yeah, I think I was afraid because that's where I started with portrait stuff. And so I just kept with what I was getting good at, Mm -hmm. but I've pushed myself to go out of my comfort zone and take more landscape like say I travel to the coast or something Mm -hmm. um it's a whole other ball game though it's different I can imagine it seems like uh so I just got my first lens I didn't know how any of this stuff worked so I got like my first decent lens off of I jacked it off of my dad's uh (laughs) he's got a Konica from like the 60s nice and so we had it up in the attic and uh I got a lens adapter for my new my new modern camera and and it just put it on there and I'm like oh my gosh like if I open this up like you can't like everything's blurry I'm like Mm -hmm. oh that's one of the tricks yeah not a trick quote unquote but I guess like something that you use to to focus 
in on what's going on on the subject. And I didn't realize that that's like what made portrait photography interesting in a lot of cases yeah. is that the background is just out of focus. And I, the, yeah, the bokeh. I didn't even know any of that stuff. So I started messing around with that and it was super fun. Um, but then, uh, yeah, I guess, I guess it would be the framing on the, on the landscape that would make it, I don't, I don't even yeah, know. Yeah, the lenses are so different. So you're talking about a portrait lens and they mm -hmm. don't really get much bigger than like that. Mm -hmm. No one can see what I'm doing, but <laughs> yeah. Um, well, they can if they're checking okay, it out okay. on YouTube. So it's like goes about from... four inches. <laughs> <laughs> and then like, uh, if you want a good shot of, say, a lighthouse or something, mm -hmm. the lens goes to like this. Like a two-foot lens? Yeah, like Dang. my one of my lenses is a 70 to 200. Okay. And I would love to be able to take pictures of the moon that are better, but mm -hmm. the lens that I want is like a four to 600, so it's like, it's a huge lens, and it costs a lot of money. So I have to be really serious in making enough money off of landscapes for me to justify buying something like that. And there are no residents on the moon that want to purchase right? your yeah. photographs. I'm not selling many prints of any of that. <laughs> yeah, that's got it. I was looking at the lenses and that is intense. Mm -hmm. So we, we film on just like a running gun setup. That running gun setup right there, the mm -hmm. one that's pointed at me is just a, it's like a 10 to 10 to 10 to 100. Uh, F2.8. Okay. And so it, it works for sure. like a lot of different situations, you know, like you can zoom in and it's, and it's fine and it's got some depth of field and stuff like that. And then when I got this one and I'm like, oh my gosh, like that's a lot. Yeah. The lens that it came with is just kind of cheap. Yeah. Nothing against Panasonic, but it was like an inexpensive camera and then they like throw one in there and you're like, oh, okay, well, this is fine. But if it gets too dark in here, like it doesn't work very well. And yeah. And that's the other thing I noticed about uh, portrait lenses. I'm mostly self-taught. Like it's a very competitive field. So people don't want to like offer advice or help you make oh. money on the market. So, <laughs> so what I've noticed in my experience is that uh, portrait lenses actually open up more like mm -hmm. so instead of an f 2.8 you can go all the way down to 1.2 which is what my lens is yeah and i can pretty much shoot in the dark and still be able to see things and i love the moodiness that i get out of that yeah so it's not so much even the blur but the ability to pick up more light in yeah. those portrait lenses that i like and so I spent as much on my portrait lens, my 50 millimeter I have now, as I did the body of my camera because I love that lens so much. Yeah. Um, but you can get good lenses for pretty cheap. Like the first one I shot with my Canon 50 millimeter was a 2.8 and I think it was like 50 bucks, but the glass was still decent. So. Dang, that's not bad. No. Well, mine they're was, out there. Mine was <laughs> free. I just jacked it out of an that's attic. That's nice. <laughs> yeah. It just doesn't have all the fancy controls. Like, I have to dial everything in, yeah. uh, like, obviously, manually. That I'm going to jump around because uh, I had some other questions, but it, it, that reminded me of another one um, that I have here, and it has to do... Are smartphones good or bad for photography? That's my question for you. Uh... <laughs> I don't know. I've heard people freaking out about like, oh, the new iPhone's coming out and it's going to put me out of commission. And it's like, no, you are a commissioned artist. Like, I don't know. You can't replace. I think what you're paying for more than anything is the person's eye, like their perspective on things. And so I don't know. Phones, they're all right for just I take my phone with me and take selfies and I'll edit them and 
I'm sure most people can't tell the difference when I get done with it, but I don't know. Whatever. There's a difference the, the best, in the lens. The best camera, though, is the one you have with you. I think if you're in the moment and you're taking pictures of whatever you feel compelled to and that's you know something that you connect with, then that's the best camera to have. Smartphones are definitely very handy. Yeah, they and are. there is a variance in quality now. I've noticed because I got like a cheap phone, and it just takes garbage oh, pictures. Yeah. Like I didn't realize that how bad. Like the the one that I took, the one I had before that broke. It was like a LG or something like that, and and it took decent pictures. Mm-hmm. You know, because I guess the sensor was like decently sized, and I'm like, oh well, it's still a cell phone. Like whatever. And then I got this one. I'm like, this is awful oh no is it like, just it's really just, grainy or what no it's like the coloration is like like quasi cartoonish oh you know what i mean like it doesn't have like see. it doesn't have the range i guess i could put i could i can show you later but like you you know you take a picture and and it's like it's it's the, the greens are two greens and like the reds are two red almost hmm. you know it's like unnatural and hmm. so it just looks kind of crappy yeah you know and it's like oh that was obviously on a phone you know <laughs> Just terrible. Obviously. Um, so do you know who invented the selfie? Uh, no idea. I have no idea. I wrote it down because I'm like, I bet she wouldn't know this because I, I was like. I don't know. So the first the first portrait ever the was. The Kardashians? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What? It was their great, 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 <laughs> great grandfather. Um, Robert Cornelius took the first portrait ever, and it was like in the 1800s, and he Whoa. actually took a self-portrait. That's interesting. Yeah. I was watching now this. Now I want to know what camera he used. Um, old Styly. <laughs> <laughs> Those ones with the light. Yeah, I know. Who's, how did he know to set it up? Did he smile in the mm-hmm. selfie? Yeah, he took it himself, and I thought somebody had to be like behind a curtain in there right? or something. But Yeah, that's why I'm confused right now. Well, I just he looked it up. must have had long arms or something. That could have been it, too. He was known for his long arms and his Maybe. portrait <laughs> photography later on. Um, I, was, I was watching this uh, documentary. This is like somewhat unrelated, um, but... Uh, the invention of the mirror mm-hmm. was like this huge deal in the Middle Ages. I bet. Because people didn't know what they looked like yeah. prior to that. And I'd never thought of that before. Like Unless every... they were rich and could have someone paint them. Yeah, maybe? exactly. But even the painting then, it was, you know what I mean? It was like a stagnant yeah. like existence. And before, you know, you could maybe catch your reflection like in water if it was clear or whatever. But like, and people became obsessed. And that's kind of, that was the, the beginning of the Renaissance was like right immediately after the invention of the mirror. Interesting. And so these artists started to look, and that's why all these artists have these self-portraits, and and um, it's kind of a big deal. That's um, cool. And then they were, it's like the self-reflection, and then um, this, the Renaissance was like identifying with yourself, uh, rather than rather than having your your destiny like formed by your social group, which hmm. I thought was pretty sweet. That is. Yeah. So, Learn something new every day. Mirrors. Who knew? Do you want another question? Sure. Okay. Um, what's the first step to becoming a photographer? I need to know that. Buy a camera. <laughs> <laughs> Call yourself one. Change your status on Facebook. <laughs> well, what's some? what are some good lessons that people need to know about? Oh, dear. I don't know. Are you are, are you allowed to do this, though? Because now you, I'm, you just said trade secrets. So you're like, nobody would ever <laughs> give me any information. I don't know. I'm like asking a magician is this tricks. Yeah, it's such an interesting thing to even think about. Sometimes I'll sit there and think about it and 
Like people don't pay me until recently for an actual tangible product that they put their hands on. They're paying me for ideas or to be a mirror that they see themselves in a certain way. Okay. And so, and it's been interesting having sales jobs my whole life Mm -hmm. and then going into basically selling myself. And I heard someone say, when you become a photographer, you are your brand. And I've taken that very seriously. Mm. And I've tried to kind of accommodate my modeling stuff. I feel like it kind of pools in there with my photography too. Because you can get that style out there so people can see that almost. Yeah, or like if I want to be an artist, I also want to be art if Mm. I'm being shot. And so that's been the most important thing for me as a photographer is to is just like quality and giving someone something that maybe they can't do themselves and it's been a really interesting process the whole thing so i I don't know like if you want to run a business i practice a lot i don't know (laughs) i've been kind of selfish i guess like i kind of just do whatever i want and then people pay attention to that like one day i wanted to just do black light body painting and my husband comes home and I just have all this paint and he's like what are we doing and I'm like you're shooting me and I painted myself and then a ton of people loved it and booked sessions doing that so I just kind of follow my intuition with what I want to do and then I feel like people uh, trust me enough to come to me with maybe their ideas or I know this is so tangenty. I'm like going off on all. No, this. I'm interested in that. Now, before you get too deep, I want to know how did. So you did a, you did a session with 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 body with paint on black lights. Yeah. Or? So I bought a few black lights on Amazon okay. and a bunch of black light paint, and then I just painted myself up, and my husband took pictures of me, and I posted them, and then a bunch of people were like, "Oh my gosh, I want to do sessions like that." And then that's all I did for a couple months was just oh, black dang. light sessions. Yeah. So how do you light that? Just black lights? Yeah, you just play around with it, and the different colors are they resonate differently with light, so you just move it while you're doing it. Okay. And it, does that pick up like the person's like frame? Like the outside of like... Oh, I spent a good two hours painting people (laughs) before. So they had like, everybody was unique and had their own patterns or whatever painted on them. I did, uh, I painted one of my friends as Venom and we did a session that way with black lights. So is this all on on your Instagram or do you have to be careful with the people that I suppose that that you book that don't necessarily want to have their stuff shown? Yeah, I ask. Okay. I ask them if they're okay with me posting. And I don't always post people. Uh, my boudoir photography is a good example of that. Like a yeah. lot of people will book that. And I've shot a lot of it, but I don't post it all the time because they're doing it for gifts or they're just doing mm-hmm. it for themselves. So I keep that on the DL. That makes sense. With whatever they're comfortable with. Yeah. So how do people check out your stuff? Instagram. Instagram has been a good one. And what's your at? Uh, it's I'm like what is it? I changed it. Uh it's B and B artistry. Okay. And it's all spelled out. Cool. And word of mouth has been a big one this year. Yeah. So 
Well, or, it sounds like you're doing. It's, I'm, I'm sorry, but my lack of understanding. I just assumed that a majority of photographers did like wedding photography in this area uh, for some reason. If they want, I've done a lot of second shooting for yeah. my friend who specializes in weddings, and then I've been really picky with what weddings I choose because it's just so time consuming. Mm-hmm. The money's usually great. I'm still really undercharging for the quality of work that I put out. Um, I just have a big heart for people and I want people to have nice images and not have to like sell a kidney to do that. But yeah, it just depends on the photographer and who likes your stuff. Do you have anything upcoming that you're super excited about? It changes constantly what I'm shooting. Like I'll, I'll book out like maybe a week or two in advance. The only things that book out far in advance are weddings. Okay. So I'm just excited for whatever's coming down the pipe. <laughs> Have you come up with anything else like quirky, like the the black light? No. It's boudoir season coming up, so I'm anticipating okay. a lot of in that. In the winter? Yep. Oh, okay. Because everything's indoors. Like, no one wants to go outside oh. and shoot anymore. So that's been a big one during winter for me. I suppose that makes sense. Yeah. The boudoir f- <laughs> photography outdoors in Idaho might be yeah. shut down pretty quickly. <laughs> <laughs> and then... Chris, with Christmas and Valentine's Day coming up, oh. that's also a big push for that. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. So um, that was because I was looking at some of your pictures um, last night. What does How does one maximize sexiness in a portrait? Uh, <laughs> there's going to be a lot of us in this. <laughs> maximize sexiness. Well, do you have like an objective series of steps that you run through or is you just feeling it out? I am so emotive. I'm very like, my process is really organic. I don't like to pre-plan anything because I feel like my strength is feeding off of other people's energy Okay. and kind of getting that chemistry with the person that I'm shooting and then going with that. And it affects my editing style too. I can never guarantee that one session is going to look just like the next because it's all based off of how I feel about that person or what kind of energy that person brings to me in the session. So if I'm, I don't try to push the sexiness too much, like for boudoir, for example, that's something that you would assume would be sexy. Um, so for me, I feel like there's a really fine line there between like softcore porn and like boudoir. Okay. <laughs> and it's it's like one you have to be careful with. Um, so I just don't like doing anything too vulgar. I try to keep it kind of romantic. And if the person has a great mouth, then I'll probably focus more on like close-ups in this area of the face. Or if they have great legs, I'm going to go down to the ground and upshoot and just accentuate what makes them sexy, if mm. that makes sense. I was I was reading something about, uh, about f- the French and like French women are like known as like being in like inherently like very attractive. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, but I guess in their culture, that's something that they do culturally i guess this was just like off of like a blog i was reading so i don't know but it, but anyway so like a lot of times like people there in in france they will whatever quality that they deem on themselves to be the most attractive is they'll they will actively dress or do whatever present themselves accentuating those that qualities makes sense. so that's everyone what, should do that i think they should too we should just adopt that as I, a... <laughs> I like that idea because it's like classy yeah it's a classy way it's to like think about there's things. clothes that fit and flatter every body type i mm-hmm. feel like there's a style of photography for everyone 
I kind of like how you're definitely coming up every time I ask a question. You you're still going to that that paradigm of you are looking through your eyes, interacting with a person, and creating a situation more so than just photographing. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. How did you how did you come to that revelation? Um, probably just so when I very first started doing photography, um, I had won a session with a photographer and I was going to Pocatello to redeem that session. And during the time I was going to be there, it sounds like I just picture you like getting out of a cereal box. <laughs> You're I'm like, Ooh, it. lucky yeah. charms. Oh, I can be a photographer. <laughs> I just got to go to Pocatello. <laughs> so while I was going to be there getting this session taken of me, I was also going to take photos of my friend Lisa and her family. Well, about a month before I went there, my friend Lisa was shot and killed by her husband with oh her daughter God. asleep in the next room. Yeah, it was a murder-suicide. And at the time, I was in a situation of domestic violence. And so it was a huge wake-up call for me. And I thought, I felt this responsibility on me to, even though I was in a situation like that, to bring some sort of awareness to domestic violence and what these people are going through and it was terrifying but through that experience so I went to Pocatello and I redeemed my session and we did an awareness session on domestic violence and just seeing how impactful that was I realized that it wasn't just taking pictures it is about the relationship that you have with other people or the awareness that you bring to the table and um, there was a time after I left that relationship where I was diagnosed with post-traumatic stress disorder yeah. and I was working through that in therapy and my photography took this violent turn. Like I was using a lot of blood, fake blood and doing a lot of like special effects gore stuff. But it was really cool because as I'm working through this trauma, I had other people come to me who've had trauma and they wanted to work out their experiences in the same way. So it really became like this avenue for people to have art therapy. And so I've just taken it really seriously. Like I have a responsibility if I have a camera in my hand to do something more than just take pictures. That's a cool story. Yeah. That's wild. That's like, I mean, they, they in counseling, they do like exposure therapy. Like that's a thing that they, I yeah. worked with counselors for years and like the exposure. And I mean, obviously in the office environment, they can't, and with PTSD, they can't actually bring people to those situations to sure. like decrease their anxiety because it's not no, the way. It's but just they have to trigger them. Yeah, but they have to sit. And part of the job is like with CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy. I don't know if you're familiar with that at all, but it's they have them, you know, think about the situations and then put themselves put themselves through them, re realize that they're okay now, mm -hmm. and then it helps to decrease their anxiety, something along those lines. So I went to EMDR therapy. Oh, okay. You, do you know what that is? Um, I think that's where they do the rapid, the eye movement, right? Yeah. And then they And then they have you think about those things at the same it's, time, right? It's a little bit more, um, it's not as like, think about this time you were beat up. It's mm -hmm. not like that. It's more like visual exercises. It's like meditation, I would say. Okay. Because my therapist was saying that your brain doesn't have to go back through the traumatic experience. They're finding to actually resolve it 
it just comes out as these weird metaphors. And so that's what it was doing as we would work through it. And I had even, I didn't do eye movement too much because it would distract me. So I had like these paddles that would vibrate back and forth in my hand as I would talk about things. Hmm. But I'm a very visual person. And so it was really effective for me to Hence do that. The photography. Yeah. But it it also helped, like I got a lot of crap for doing all the gore stuff. I'd get like hate mail from people and like threats and stuff. But yeah, it's crazy. But um, it was really therapeutic for me and it helped other people. And so that's the only thing I care about. Yeah. Who cares what other people think? That's ridiculous. Yeah, I I can't care. Especially knowing this. Well, they don't. Nobody knows the situation. Obviously, if you're is this like social media backlash that you're talking about? Yeah. Like I would post on um, like I had a friend who had a miscarriage and she booked a session with me and we she used like a dead rabbit or something and i got like animal rights activists emailing me telling me how horrible i was that there was this dead animal and i was like well if it makes you feel any better she consumed it after it didn't go to waste you know so just random people messaging me on my business page oh wow have you have you do you do you ever catch any flack about the boudoir Oh yeah. Okay. And do they- I get flack from anything I do? It's like people either love me or they really hate me. There's no in between. Do, there. But it's it's got to be good though. If it isn't like sometimes I f- I feel the 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 biggest insult um, if you're an artist is to have somebody not react. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I don't care. But I've had to like just shut that off in me. I can't care. I just do. And a lot of people give me crap about my modeling because I've done like really risque boudoir stuff or, you know, I self portraits are a great bookmark for me as an artist because I don't communicate very well when I'm having a hard time. And so for me, photography's become a form of communication that really helps me process whatever I'm going through. And so I'll take a lot of self-portraits and I've gotten people, I've had people just like your vein or whatever, they want to tell me about it. And I just don't care because it's not for anyone else. I don't pick up a camera or step in front of one or do anything I do as an artist to please anybody. How how do you feel that that fits into the like you have a personal story, obviously, as mm-hmm. far as escaping domestic abuse. Like, how does this? How does that fit into the the Me Too movement? As far as like what what you're doing, I'm just curious. How's it fit? Because I'm just I, like it seems did like. Did you it's see co- a post on my? Facebook. No, I didn't no. actually. Did you? Did you make one? I don't even want to get into that. Okay. Okay. <laughs> how does it fit into the Me Too movement? Yeah. I feel like it's obviously pretty empowering for for you. You know, and people, I just feel like people might misconceive like what, what you're doing with, like if you are doing some risque art, artistic uh, expressions with people, they might not see that that is empowering for some reason. Sure. Is that correct? Or am I just I, Yeah. This? But again, I don't care what they think. Oh, like okay. people are going to get offended or think whatever they're going to think about me or what I do. Mm-hmm. So... I just don't care. You're just out there to help people. Yeah. And I, you know, I feel like I spent so much of my life trying to please everybody else and trying to fit in these boxes and stay small. And I'm tired of staying small. Like, that's not who I am. And so I'm just. What do you mean by stay small? 
uh, like dull myself down so people aren't offended by me or they feel more comfortable being around me because I'm fitting a status quo. And I just, I have a lot to say. I think I have a unique perspective on things. My brain correlates information differently than other people. And so I'm just at the point in my life where I'm just going to be me. Good for you. Yeah. I mean, that's, everybody should do that, but they don't. (laughs) I don't think a lot of people know who they are. That's true. Like to self-actualize, it takes a lot. And then you have those people who self-actualized and then they're going above that, you know? And so I guess that's, I guess being me helps other people. I want to help other people be themselves because I want to push them out of their comfort zones. I do like strong reactions because I feel like that's when people start questioning this, you know, false security that they've put themselves in or maybe their habits that they haven't recognized are bad for them or whatever. I think that getting out of that comfort zone and having strong reactions to things really either solidifies what we believe or helps push us to realize something better. Comfort zones is huge, I think. That's my opinion. Like, yeah. I think, I, I, like, people, like, the Rolling Stone gathers no moss type phrase, <laughs> you know? I, it, uh, it drives me crazy sometimes when I, when I see people kind of, like, checking their boxes through life you know it's their decision sure you know or or whatever but but then but then to look at somebody else and 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 be concerned about about them because they're not fitting in the certain mold that they've set for themselves and i feel like it's always just about somebody just right in their comfort zone yeah and anybody that doesn't put themselves push themselves outside of their comfort zone is just like on a slow path of degradation into just miserableness have you ever heard of cognitive dissonance yes yeah that's what it is yeah that's what i'm putting off in people is just you know out of their comfort zone mm-hmm. out yeah. of what they believe yeah and this is doesn't this doesn't fit in and therefore it is bad yeah. rather than because ha- it's easier to just reject something instead of taking the time to think about uh whether or not your baseline of of what you believe is wrong. Sure. Because it's just, it's just like a whole, you know, sometimes I feel like some people get thrown into situations and, and it's usually it has to do with their their upbringing or something like that. They get put into to some paradigm and then they have to build, you know, like a, a castle on the sand. And if that doesn't fit them personally, like it just, it's hard to go back through and then realize that the foundation is rotten. Sure. And know? then on the other hand, I have to be respectful. It's really pushed me to be more respectful for those yeah. people who don't want out of their comfort zones. Yeah. Because I used to get so frustrated and still find myself sometimes like, why won't you just see it? You know, how can you not, how can you be okay just staying placid and in this, what I would consider mediocre, but maybe they're happy that way. And I have to respect that. And so yeah. it pushes me out of my dissonance or whatever you know it's a two-way street there so well that's tough to read i think i mean that's just obviously like the major problem that's going on with a lot of different things right now with social media we're all in each other's faces and then people are everyone's an expert because they have an opinion (laughs) (laughs) i can share so therefore i'm right um yeah just the lack of thinking i don't know i you know i guess i i can be kind of judgmental but i feel like people that that don't take the time to think I don't find their opinions valid, you know. It's and just... then that just, I feel like, weeds out what kind of people 
I want to be around, you know? Yeah. I feel like being me helps me realize who is for me and who I want to be around more often. Yeah, because it, it, it allows, rather than catering to other people, it allows the opportunity for that just that relationship just to like dwindle or never exist in yeah. the first place. And that's refreshing for me because I don't like to waste my time. <laughs> yeah, time is like really valuable. Yeah, it kind of is, huh? <laughs> it's kind of the only real <laughs> currency that we have. For real. Everybody forgets about that. Yeah, that's, yeah, time is nuts. Um, I'm going to take us off on a tangent a little bit. Do you ever, have you ever seen the Black Mirror speaking of time and binge watching Netflix? No, and wasting I haven't. It? So there's a, uh, you haven't seen the episode of Black Mirror where people record everything and they see an experience? No. Oh, it's super awesome. I'm like, do I want to watch that? Yeah, you kind of should. So anyway, I mean, this is, I was just imagining. Uh, so, <laughs> so the idea is that they have this implant in their brain and then it records everything. And so they like basically are videotaping their lives. And then they can project. Is that what it. our smartphones do for us, basically? Is yeah, like... but it's like through their eyeballs, you <laughs> yeah. know. So I was just gonna, if you had seen that, I was I gonna haven't. bleed into some other photography questions mm. just about about I'll removing have to watch yourself. It now, though, you should. It's pretty sweet. It's very, it's very visceral too, because it's like the whole the whole point about it is like everybody recorded everything verbatim, mm -hmm. and so. That like makes that's the, the court system a little bit more efficient. <laughs> well, he, yeah, exactly. I mean, that wouldn't be an issue. But the thing is, is this it follows this couple that's like has like this quasi toxic relationship. Oh no! And so like the whole thing is is like the he said she said type thing. Uh, but then like obviously like you have the direct proof of yeah. what had happened, and so like the arguments are like that much more intense between the two. But it's still kind of like they still have like this miscommunication, even though it's quote unquote like objective. Yeah, it's, everything is. It's, it's a pretty cool episode. I'll I have definitely to check it out. I definitely recommend you check it out. But I was going to ask then about uh, like the photographer's eye, too. Like how do you how do you because uh, obviously you do use different lenses. And for those of you out there that don't know what what that does is it it, it makes it so most people's cell phones when you hold it up you're like looking at the room around you and then you hold up the cell phone screen and you're like wow that's like taking a big wide shot. Mm -hmm. But but for you how does that how does that work as far as like going into a situation, knowing when you need to change your lenses, knowing when you, the perspective that you want to take in those? I have three lenses. That's oh, okay. all I work with. And I have a wide angle lens that I pull out a lot at weddings because okay. there's a lot going on and a lot of people. So I try to get as much as I can in the shots. Um, I don't know because when I first got my lenses... I used my 50 millimeter all the time and I had other photographer friends like, why are you just using that lens? But all today I shot portraits with my 70 to 200 and it, so I step back farther and it makes that the background a lot more blurry and they're, it's like they're just in focus. Like it's really focused on them if you step farther back. So I don't know. It just depends on the day and my mood. And then if I want, like I have a lot of high contrast in my 50 millimeter. So if I want a moodier image that's a little more artsy looking, then I'll use that one too. But okay. if it's fast paced, I need my wide angle or I need my 70 to 200. I can't really shoot as quick and you can't zoom with a 50 millimeter. So that's the other thing. Okay. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. you, you were literally physically moving around and then that yeah, you're the takes zoom. longer. Yeah. <laughs> that makes sense. Um, so so this one I did see on your social media, which I think is really interesting. The uh, What is a blue face? I've never understood it. 
Blue phase? Yeah, but I know that painters go through their blue phase. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of why I latched onto it. Yeah, I don't know. Is there something special about the color blue? Like feeling blue. I don't know. So I, when I first moved into my husband's house after we were married, uh, well, I guess it was right before we were married. Anyways. He, Sorry, mom and dad. His, his mom and dad might not really care. I think mine gave up on me a long time ago. No, so he has like all these vaulted ceilings in that house, but all the walls were white and the one in the bedroom was brown. And I just kept seeing like a cobalt blue wall. I have to put cobalt blue on that wall. And that's what I did. And it's gorgeous. But I don't know. Blue, I guess, psychologically is a calming color. But whenever I say I'm in my blue period, because I'll do like a range of selfies or something and say it's a blue period, it's because I'm feeling blue. So I'm like putting the color with the mood type of thing so that's for you mm -hmm. but it is calming yeah so i'm thinking that maybe that's what artists do when they're feeling like somewhat anxious maybe to like calm themselves down yeah because they're every color has a psychology to it yeah, yeah. i was uh, i'm pretty sure what was the artist i was i was in i was in spain and i can't remember the art uh, they had like his blue phase up on the Is walls Picasso? i don't know i think i think it might have been he did, so so Picasso was crazy because like he so when he was the one that cut his ear off or was that Van that Gogh? was Van Gogh oh, okay yeah Picasso did the he was the surrealist so he did Guernica and then he did um, I'm trying to think of some other paintings that he did I'm really not very, we're very well versed in <laughs> Me the art either. in the art scene but he did he did, you know he's did the stereotypical like the the eyes like are sure. you know very surreal um, and and then of course you know the people that don't know anything about art they're like well it looks like I could do that. Yeah. But uh, he did some really, really well done art very early on. That was very realistic. Sure. Like that's where he started. Like he had a really strong baseline. And I can't remember if it was him because I don't think it was very surrealist, which makes me think it wasn't Picasso. But yeah, there was, I mean, they have like, you know, uh, what's that? What's the name of the, the museum there? The Reina Sofia. And then they have the Prado too. But uh, it, it's it's kind of cool because it was just like, it was just like this one artist. And it was just like this hallway of just like blue. That's cool. Just completely obsessed with it. I'm getting obsessed with blue tattoos. Like the more I learn about my ancestry, yeah. like Celtics. Oh, uh, uh, I'm Celtic too. Are you? Yeah. See, once uh, my dad, after... He's obsessed with it now too, and then he even obsessed. he got a he got a dog that's like a Celtic breed. Oh, nice! Yeah, it's just but is it's it just a like Scottish a, Terrier. No, no, it's a black mouth cur, oh, and it's just like this. Yeah, it's just this like wild dog, you know. Mm. So he picked it for the breed, and it ends up being a gigantic handful. That's funny. <laughs> yeah, it's like maybe you should have just gotten you know whatever like a collie. It's like no, I want this one dog, and it's like completely bananas interesting just, yeah it's like just a, it's, high energy or yeah what? it's like it's kind of like it's like built like a muscular greyhound so it like can run like oh, okay. probably like almost 30 miles an hour That's it cool. escaped from their their uh, front door when i was leaving on my motorcycle like oh, like no. in september and i'm driving down the road and i look in the mirror and there's like this little i mean she's just like she's like 30 or 40 pounds and probably about 18 inches tall mm -hmm. and I look and there's this little dog just like <laughs> catching up to me you know so and I had to like, like stop oh. and turn my bike around I'm like no follow me back because we're not going to get hit by a car yeah. today but just like totally spunky so Whoa. anyway so just be careful where that that the Celtic obsession leaves you because you might end up with a, a dog for 15 I have plenty years it's like children yeah, my okay. husband's put his foot down with dogs till our kids are out of diapers oh there we go so anyway you found out that you're or you 
you knew you were Celtic, but you've been. I did. Um, my mom's side is very proud Scottish. Okay. We're from the Duncan clan. Oh. Clan Duncan, however you say that. But uh, I did the Ancestry DNA kit, mm-hmm. and that was really interesting. Yeah. What did they so, find out? Uh, or what did you find out? Mostly, I'm a lot of Scandinavian. Oh, <laughs> and okay. And then I have like Spaniard and South American, which comes from my biological father's side. And then like 1% African. Really? Yeah. Isn't that interesting? A very small mix. Yeah, I was my my parents had it done. And then I was like, well, maybe I don't need to get it done then. But then I found out that you can carry different um different percentages from each parent. Yeah. Which I wasn't even thinking about. And so I like got really like into um like I was obsessed about like genetics for like two weeks. <laughs> two weeks. Yeah. And so That's I all found I did. Yeah. I was just like <laughs> looking at like the statistics because I got like really into like bell curves and the way that works. And so like uh, fraternal siblings, you know, they say that you share like fifty percent of your of your genes, but it actually varies between like thirty something percent and like seventy something percent. Yeah, I thought that was crazy too. Like the huge variation that can go even just between siblings mm-hmm. is so interesting. And then like there was a portion of a specific type of Russian Jew that's been showing up in all the females on my mom's side, but it's not showing up in the males. So it has to be sex linked or something. Oh, Yeah, we thought that was really interesting, too, because now a lot of us on my mom's side have had that DNA kit done and it's just popping up in the women and just randomly. Yeah. So it's not just like this line. Well, it's like like, it's in my mom's, it's in mine, and it's in two of my cousins, if I'm remembering correctly, that are both female that have done it, but it's not showing up in the male. Huh. So Scottish and South South American. That's cool. (laughs) Are you like mostly Scottish then? I can tan, yeah. Scottish and Norwegian. Right on. I'm all Norwegian almost. Yeah. And then like Irish. Okay. Irish, Norwegian, and then I don't know. I got like a lot of different variations of white people. Yeah. In me, splitting hairs there, kind of. I <laughs> yeah. <feel> like right. <laughs> they're all just like in that cloudy area in the in Europe. That's well, where I've all been, my ancestors come from. I've been thinking a lot about culture. Like that word gets thrown around a lot, and mm. so I'm. I really wanted to see what I connected with as far as that goes. Like seeing the different variations of what cultures. And so I started looking at art and reading the poetry because I love poems and I write a little bit. So I was curious what I would connect with. And it's been all Norwegian stuff and like Scottish stuff that's like really gotten a grip on me. And then I have like weird six senses, like I see the future of my dreams. It's always been that way. And so... I've been noticing like a trend in the Norse poetry and like the way that they revered women for having those gifts. And so I just get more and more drawn to that Hmm. side of it. Well, they have some pretty awesome histories, the Celts and the the Norwegians. Well, even our Scottish clan was taken or like came into Scotland from the Vikings. So even the Scot is Viking. Oh, Okay. In me. Got it. Yeah, there there were, what was the, yeah, because the, the Vikings went into, I know they went into Ireland quite a bit. Like yeah, they were I trying, think they pillaged everywhere. <laughs> they were all over the place. They were everywhere. Yeah, all over those northern areas. <laughs> they were in, they were in Canada. 
Yeah, they say that they discovered, they, historians say that they discovered America before Columbus, but didn't, like, decimate it or anything. They just, like, learned and traded and then took off. Yeah. Well, they were in that cold climate, too. Yeah. So they just followed up. And so they were, like, in northern Canada somewhere. And then they set up a, I think they set up a shop or, you know, like, a little bit of a town. Mm-hmm. That was all I They were find. into human trafficking, too, I think, for a while. I think I just read that. <laughs> Don't quote me, but I'm pretty sure that's what it said. I think human trafficking was like the major <laughs> enterprise, like up until the 1700s. Right? I'm basically certain. Yeah. <laughs> well, maybe not. It's gold, but I think that the human trafficking was a big part of getting that gold. Yeah. Dang. Nasty history. Yeah, uh, it is. We kind of covered this question. Um, does the size of the lens matter? No. You were talking about those <laughs> gigantic lenses. You need that that one that you brought on it's was all... like it was like it was like an eighteen inch lens. I'm like, yeah. what the heck? Yeah, is that's going my on? seventy to two hundred I was talking about. So those are the ones you want that for mostly. If landscape. I want to stay out of the way. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's nice too. Like if I'm shooting a wedding. I just imagine like you're like giving advice to like some creeper out there. Just get a really long one and you don't even have to come close Paparazzi to your, You don't have to get man. close to your subject. <laughs> they won't even know you're around. Seriously though. I feel kind of creepy sometimes even though people are paying me. Mm-hmm. I'm like in bushes trying to get that foreground blur and I'm like, this feels wrong. <laughs> well, you were completely... Uh, like you were off the radar when you were shooting at our at our set, it felt like. Yeah. But it was like a uh, like the coffee shop would have been um, like medium sized dish, I guess, and we had it for the day, which was super yeah, cool. So I felt cool. like you were just like right on the peripheral, like on yep. the on the perimeter the entire time, and like all those shots like came up super close. Yeah. But that's like pretty big zoom, right? Yeah. Two hundred millimeters. Yeah. Like I don't even know what that works into, like times what. But you're Look, getting I don't know. You're getting I'm not a very technical shooter. I'm okay. just like emotional and just do whatever feels right. <laughs> you don't you get your calculator out to figure out no, like the aspect ratio no, or anything like that. I don't. <laughs> How much post production do you do with like the with your shots? That's a question I have for you. Now that I'm thinking about like it, editing time. Yeah, yeah. How mu- How often do you get a shot where it's like you get it and then you're like, I don't need to touch this. A lot more lately. With portrait sessions. Yeah. But there's always like some tone or if I want to add mat or whatever. I don't know. I am such a brat because it's like it doesn't take me. It takes me like maybe 40 minutes to do the actual session if I'm doing a portrait session. Mm. But if I'm not in the mood to edit, they turn out horrible when I put them in Photoshop. So like I have to be in the right frame of mind to edit. So my editing times have taken longer this year than normal because if I know I'm not in a mood to edit and they're just going to turn out terrible and I'm going to have to redo them anyways, I'll just wait. So I don't know. Sometimes I get it perfect in camera, but I still want to do something to it because I'm a perfectionist. That that's way. cool. That's cool. I, I the only reason I say that is because every time I take a picture, I feel like when I when I put it on my computer, I'm like, oh, if I crop it, it looks way better. Like mm-hmm. I don't know, I haven't mastered like figuring out the size of the box that I'm looking at. Right. <laughs> like in the moment, it's like, oh, okay, well, this doesn't have the right ratio. Yeah. Like the third, I feel like I, I should, I don't, I'm refusing to do it, but you put those like thirdsies lines on your, on yeah. your screen and then it like, it lines it up and I'm being stubborn and I don't want to do it. Does that help? <laughs> do you ever use that? Yeah, I do. Um, so realistically, like a portrait photo 
will take about 15 to 25 minutes per photo to edit. And then a concept image like we were talking about earlier can take me a couple of weeks. You spend 15 minutes on a picture on one? Yeah. Wow. But I've, I've spent like upwards of, I don't know, like 72 hours on some of the concept ones. Dang. So it just depends on what I'm doing to it and what kind of mood I'm in. Well, what, what's what's a good concept photo that you've taken then and, and really um, like torn apart the background? I'm just curious, like what, what, what layers are you taking pictures of other things and then putting them in layers? That's a good question. Well, I have some hanging up at Amsterdam Lounge, if you're ever oh, okay. <laughs> in that area. Oh, cool. Um, and I feel like those Where are like- Where is that? It's downtown. Okay. Boise. Okay. Amsterdam Lounge. Yeah. And they were kind enough to hang up some of my canvases there, but I feel like I gave them my best that I had. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so sometimes I'll take a picture of something- And then I'll take a picture of someone on like a white backdrop or something and I'll composite that person into the photo. And then it is a ton of layers. That's all good concept photography is just layers and layers and layers and masking imperfections. Like if you take a person out of one photo and you stick them in another photo, it literally looks like you took a sticker and just pasted it on. To something on a background. Yeah, bad Photoshop effect. Yeah. So at that point, you got to figure out how you're going to blend that person or that thing in with the background to make it look real. And I think that's the challenge. Like I went to the coast with a few models one year and I did a whole series of of shots just based off of Anais Nin's work because I was really loving her um, I don't know what you call that. It's not like a pamphlet. It's like a short novel. I don't know. It's called House of Incest. Okay. And it was about her incestuous relationship with her father, but it wasn't like, this is what happened and this is how I felt about it. It was like her subconscious like visualization of how all this weird relationship made her feel. And so I don't know what it was about it, but I just really connected with it. So we went to the coast. I I just took three models with me and I shot up close um, at the ocean. So like a little puddle I saw in like a rock or something. And I just zoomed in really close and shot that. And then I separately shot the model and I put her in. But I was like taking little pieces of her hair and compositing it in around her and making it look kind of melted into the water like it was floating. And that took me quite some time, probably like 14 hours on that photo, just to make it look realistic. I suppose that's the giving it the depth. And then Mm -hmm. are you having, when you put two pictures together, are you taking extra care to make sure that the lighting's coming from the correct direction and intensity and stuff? Yep. You got to match light. I'll add shadows a lot of the time. Like say I took a photo of the model in a evenly lit space and then I put her in a natural environment. I have to start adding shadows. You got to like put fake light in coming from one direction on her. So Dang. it just depends on what your environment looks like and what you're trying to accomplish. So this is not any kind of smartphone photography. Oh, that's no. right. <laughs> yeah. That's why I'm like, what are you shooting? Are those people freaking out? 
That's pretty awesome. Uh, I didn't even imagine the level of, I guess that makes sense. I didn't know um, when I was scrolling through your, your pictures last night, I didn't, I don't know if I saw any of, I probably did, but it didn't register as far as like the amount of depth and, and, and expertise that you have in Photoshop to be able to make those composite good, images. I'm glad you can't tell. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> it's working. <laughs> That's good. That's how I feel. We're doing uh, today in the, our film stuff, we're doing uh, ADR, which is automated dialogue replacement. And so w- what I'm doing is like, we have to record the the actors afterward, mm-hmm. after we already film them and then okay. like sync their mouths up and then oh, that seems make, like a lot of work and then make it sound like it doesn't, it's not like this type of sound where mm-hmm. we're in this room. These are all sound panels around us. And sure. so like, it's like dead. And so I have to record it in here and then make sure it sounds like it's inside of a cafe mm-hmm. or if it's in, cause this, the footage is all silent. And so mm-hmm. it's kind of, I mean, it's somewhat similar to that where yeah, you have to like make sure concept. that everything is layered up sure. and then I add the you know the, an air conditioner hum and then some traffic in the background but the traffic in the background can't sound like it's right there it has to be quieted down and then you have to muffle it you know so turn down the high frequency stuff so that it comes through like it's from inside the house versus outside sure so it, it's time consuming I bet I feel your pain <laughs> glad. but when it's but when it's all over you're like oh nice yeah. And then if and then it's like one of those things too like if you're watching a film nobody ever if the sound is all messed up they're like what was wrong? Yeah. But if it's Takes if nobody it. notices it then you're like oh okay perfect I did, I did a, did a good, good job. job. Yeah. <laughs> I did that right. Yeah, so for me like the I wasn't satisfied with just seeing things digitally so I made it a huge point to start printing so now printing is the other side of my business. And I don't print them myself, but I applied to all these professional labs who wanted to see my work and, you know, go through that process. Um, And they use like archival quality inks. And I noticed a huge shift in my editing once I started printing because I knew how I wanted it to look on print and I wasn't getting it the way I was doing it digitally. So, but seeing my work in print is really where that reward comes in for me as a photographer. And I think that's my favorite part of being a photographer now is How having do, print. So, so that's probably a whole business of which I'm completely oblivious. So these, th- there's people out there that probably make gigantic prints of your work then. And uh, then I'm what? hoping so. Oh, you're st- <laughs> I make gigantic prints of my work. Oh, okay. Like my husband and I uh, took milk bath photos of all seven of our children mm-hmm. and now I printed on 20 by 30 canvas each one of them. And so you walk into our house and there's the fireplace. And then it's just like a row of our seven children up on canvas prints. Oh. Yeah. So I suppose decorations are pretty sweet at your place then. So yeah, it's getting there. <laughs> like I said, all the walls were blank. So I'm slowly turning that place I into I think a I home. should have like called you up when I put these sound panels on because <laughs> it's just fabric. So they could probably have some pictures. Maybe I need a theme. In here, yeah. it would add quite a bit. I got a couple more questions left for you. This All one's right. a little bit left field. Get ready. I'm very proud of this one. I'm ready. If you lost your vision, do you think sculpting would be an appropriate career transition? No, I would feel what? sorry for anyone who had to look at that. <laughs> well, what would you I'd do? I'd have to be like that guy on Blade Runner where he has like those. Have you seen that? The new Blade Runner? No, I haven't. Oh, he has like a an implant in his head. Oh. It's Jared Leto. And like oh, okay. he has these little devices that go see for him. It'd have to be something like that. I don't oh, know what I would I do. Maybe I saw that. Maybe I did see. 
I don't remember. It's okay. a long movie. Okay. Yeah, right on. <laughs> so you don't know what you would do? I don't know. Prepare for the worst. Maybe that's just me being like anxious all the time. I'm, I'm like, like well, my what if eyes that... do get worse every time I go to the doctor. <laughs> no, I don't know what I would do. I hope that's nothing I ever have to deal with. But I have other things I do like... I sang in the opera when I was younger, so oh, really? I love to sing. Oh, and, nice. Well, there yeah. we go. That's audio related. I would probably sing, yeah, and I'd probably f- still write. You're an opera singer? I w- am a classically trained opera singer. Oh, did we talk about this before? I don't know. Dang. Yeah. S- so do you ever dabble in that still? Besides I just, just karaoke like in the sh- on occasion. <laughs> yeah, karaoke in the shower or whatever. <laughs> but my voice has changed so much, like... I was a high soprano, and now I'm a low alto high tenor. Oh, okay. So This was when um, you were, like, kid kid? Yeah, I was from third to sixth grade. Okay. Yeah. Oh, wow. And then I sang in Madrigal's choir in high school. Wow. But That's impressive. I've always been impressed with people that have that level of vocal control. Because, like, I play guitar, you mm-hmm. know, and you just, you tune the guitar. You, like, sure. you know when it's out of tune. Yeah. And then you adjust the guitar and then it's in tune you kind of have to do that with your voice but i just it's yeah but it takes like such a level of control and then to like start out like because i i'm not i'm not a strong singer obviously hence the jealousy but to be able to start out and be like have like a note in your head and then like if i have to sing it i'm like you know and then you get there (laughs) you like dial it in but it's still not quite perfect in that fluctuation yeah there was this uh uh i knew this uh uh classically trained singer one time and i was like it was like right when i got my first smartphone and i'm like oh my gosh, there's a guitar tuner on here. This is amazing. And she's like, oh, let's test it out. And then she like grabs it and she's just like, and it's like a perfect G. Like, and I'm like, wow. I'm probably not that good anymore, but I've been singing to my children their whole lives, like even in utero. And my son has the voice of an angel. That kid can nail it. Like he hears his, I don't know what you call it in the music world, but like he'll hear a song and be able to nail it. Like perfect pitch. Yep. Perfect pitch. Oh, that's awesome. And he's amazing. And that's nothing he's ever been taught. It's just natural to him. And I was similar at that age. Oh, okay. But it's something that, like, for me, I have to keep hearing things and practicing where it's more natural for him to do. That's cool. Yeah. That perfect pitch would be a sweet gift. Yeah. So you got him in lessons and stuff like that, too? Or does he just just... throw him up on stage? No, <laughs> he'd probably love it. He likes that kind How of attention. Old is he? He's 12. Well, 12, I mean, you, there's no, you can make tons of money on that then too, right? <laughs> no, I'm not <laughs> even putting You're like, no. He's like, he idolizes the 1975 and he loves Panic at the Disco. So he's always singing those songs and he's trying to learn on YouTube how to play the guitar. Oh, sweet. Yeah. Disco music is amazing to me. Yeah. I love it. It's got that, I mean, obviously, it's it's kind of like a white person's, like, funk music. Yeah. <laughs> but I just love those funky beats in the background. And then, yeah, those that was, like, that was my jam nice. growing up. And then 80s, anything that was super funky in the 80s, talking yeah. heads, that kind of stuff. They were awesome. Are you ready for the last question? I'm ready. Sweet. Um, what has been your favorite, um, what has been your favorite photo session ever? that you've ever done, you've ever been a part in the subject or been photographing, photographing, (laughs) or both? That's the hardest question you've asked me. That's why it was last. I don't know. I take something unique from every single session I do. 
And I, I feel selfish almost coming out of every session, even just family sessions, because I just enjoy people so much and the ability to be a part of people's lives in that way that I just love every session that I do. Well, is there one session in particular, maybe if I rephrase it, where you would love to go back and do again and maybe change something a little bit differently because you enjoyed it so much? No. Oh, wow. <laughs> I You're just like completely in a state of flow then when you're in. Yeah, because photographing. I have photographing. a... <laughs> there I go again, <laughs> photographing. That works. Yeah. I know what you're saying. <laughs> no, I just feel like it's all a piece of my growth. And as cliche as it sounds, it's all necessary for learning and growing and going into the next one, being a little bit more prepared or, I don't know, I just love the experience well, and that people trust me enough to pay me to do it. That's, that's cool. pretty rad. Yeah. Do you have another, do you have another step that you want to make then as far as your photography is concerned? Is there? It's all to the print side and yeah, there are some projects I really want to do more on the awareness side like I read a book um called Soiled Doves and it's by an Idaho author mm -hmm. she lives in northern Idaho and it's about prostitution in the early west hmm. and like how it was interesting to read it and realize that that's kind of where female entrepreneurship took a foothold because the only way you could control your own money or have any type of right to properties if you're basically a madame of a whorehouse. Oh, wow. And then seeing how these women weren't just these seedy, horrible creatures, like a lot of them contributed back to the communities that they lived in with money, or um, there was a madame of a brothel who, when I think it was the plague or something, smallpox hit, and it was a big mining community, and all those girls were nursing these people back to health because no one else would touch them. And so just seeing wow. like all these great contributions and then they weren't even allowed to be buried in the same cemetery with the rest of the community. They were just kind of like put off to the side. And so one of the projects I wanted to do, and yeah, there were a lot of horrible aspects to it, like I'm not negating that, but I really want to do a project kind of spotlighting these historical figures and like what western feminism kind of started out as what would that look like i'm curious um so there was a lady named donaldina cameron who now in san francisco there's the cameron house i think is what it's called where she was a tall scottish woman so i related to this character when okay. i was reading about her this historical figure but um she would just take an axe and like axe down these doors and save these small Chinese girls that were being trafficked to California for sex slavery. Mm. And she would save them. And she started or took over like a, a halfway house or something and started raising these girls. And she saved thousands of them. And so one of, she's one of the people I would want to highlight and the like Chinese brothel people would call her the white devil and used to tell these little girls the story of the white devil. So mm. they wouldn't want to go with her if she showed up to save them, wow. but they called her like the love mother. And so I would want to do like this 
double side to this woman and kind of show her as this white devil carrying this girl out of slavery and then as a human being like loving this child and just kind of like put those two next to each other. So I don't know. It's just different with every person, kind of like the visuals that I got while I was reading this book for each person. That's cool. And kind of spotlighting their contribution to society back then. So for something like that, you'd you'd want like the set then probably, and then you need some some models Mm -hmm. and then costumes, special effects, makeup artists on board. Yeah, it's it would be a lot. How does that how does that work for a photographer then? You know, like such a big project like that. Is a lot of it labor passion? Are there people that out there that are making money, on, like huge amounts of money to be able to pay for? I mean, obviously there are, but like how many? I'm just curious myself because I sure. do I do film stuff and it's I feel like I'm always just like trying to like push up to that next level to do do those right. things that I want to do. But it's like obviously it requires more people, more money. Sure. And then I, you know, obviously like Hollywood, everybody knows about because you get to see the films in the in the in the theater. Yeah. Well, what does that look like for for photographers? Like you can ask people to if they want to volunteer, but I don't like doing that. I want to pay people the same way I want to be paid. So for me, it's more of working myself up to the point where I can start saving back for something like that because it is a lot of time and talent and people who deserve to be paid. But for me, if I was ever to accomplish something like that, I would want a gallery show it. So that's my main goal overall as an artist is to do awareness projects like that and then have it galleries shown and then hopefully sell prints of it. That's cool. Are are you, uh, so you have stuff on display in at Amsterdam Lounge, you said here. Yeah. Is there anywhere else that you have anything on display? No, I need to get out there more. I'm very reserved, <laughs> reclusive. I don't know. I, I need you're to, a salesperson. <laughs> I know, right? I need to put, my, when it comes to my own stuff, I just hate rejection. <laughs> so I need to get over it and just start submitting my stuff because I'm sure find, there's You could somewhere. find someone to do it for you too. And then you wouldn't have to uh, deal with that end yeah. of the business. That's a good idea. You know, because sometimes that's like the delegation aspect. True. After you get to a certain point is like one of the hardest things that I've ever had to to learn yeah. is to like let go of something right yeah <laughs> instead of being in control of every single yeah. aspect it's like okay maybe you can just take like this one little thing from yeah. me <laughs> and then when it's your art you're really protective over it oh, so yeah even thinking about that gives me anxiety a little bit but I'm just at the point where I need to push out of my own comfort zones and start doing what I keep saying I want to do what does the gallery thing look like for a photographer like a gallery is there gallery tours do you I don't know. Are those? Oh, okay. I haven't even, I don't know yet. I, I would assume just having the prints. Mm-hmm. Oh, the other thing I want to do is start setting up booths at like the Goddess Fest with prints ready to sell and try oh. to, or like the Highland Games. That's I want to start because I want my work up in people's houses. Yeah. So that's another one. But I don't know. Probably just submitting like every other artist of other art forms, mm-hmm. mediums do. And just trying to meet the right Pray. people and yeah. hope that they like you and like your stuff. Yep. Yeah. Cool. Well, that's a def- that's an hour. Thank you so much for coming on, Lindsay. Yeah, it was fun chatting with you. Yeah, thanks for having me. And uh, we'll be in touch. Sounds good. <laughs>